Um, I'm fine, thank you. Everything is good. We're having a heat wave here. Although uh, it hasn't been as bad as some other parts of the West here, West Coast. Um, heat wave and a drought. All the reservoirs in California are drying up. So that's uh, inauspicious. Um, that's because they're dumping the water in the ocean. They're not managing the water. They're just letting oh, it flow. We don't need that. Those kind of speculations actually be dry. Uh, it hasn't rained all practically all winter. And so the, that's the reason for the drought. And then there's excessive heat south of California and 120 in Los Angeles recently. So those are really hot uh, temperatures. Naturally, the uh, water, fresh water will be evaporated in such conditions. So at any rate, uh, other than that, um, everything is well here um, at Odaria. And uh, as far as I can tell, with the rest of the uh, Sangha as well. So why don't we go ahead and take the questions? Yeah, sure. So right now there are two questions. I think devotees are just getting on later. Um, so that's why I haven't been able to, yeah, the questions have been coming in later. So again, just if you have any questions, just message me. But right now there are two questions. Um, so Kishore, do you want to ask your question? Um, so I'm wondering about, um, we often see sadhakas become attracted to one form um, or one anga of bhakti, especially inspired by one or another. So I'm wondering if that attraction is a result of kind of karmic disposition, if it's bhakti kind of um, giving special mercy in that direction to individual sadhakas or if it's the um the will of the jiva kind of in relation to the general mercy of of bhakti well, i think that the uh, psychological makeup of the individual um may dispose him or her to one anga of bhakti or another um, on the one hand. And on the other hand, um, one bhak anga of bhakti or another may afford the uh, particular devotee greater experiential, uh, well, a greater absorption and thereby experience and thereby become the liked or preferred um, Anga amongst so many. So um, I don't know how useful it is to try to determine exactly why um, any one of the reasons that you mentioned might um, have um, be causal to one extent or another. Um, but I think. It largely applies to the psychology 
and the makeup of the devotee, which is obviously coming from two things, coming from their conditioned life, coming from previous influences of bhakti uh, as well. Gurudev, you just froze. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that wasn't just me. Okay. Um, I guess we'll just wait for him to come back. There we go. Hello, You're back. Yeah. Yeah, lost you. Well, so, yeah, I would say um, there could be any number of factors that would determine that, but um, which, whichever Anga affords one, more absorption in thereby experience would naturally be the liked one. Um, why it does? Probably because of the psychology of the devotee. And, um, you know, that it brings us to a larger issue, perhaps, the attraction of the devotee to a particular bhava. Mm-hmm. So typically... Uh, that is a result of association, but in a marginal or in a, in a peripheral, I should say, sense, it could be uh, based on conditioning as well. So, for example, let's say there are two gurus steeped in different bhavas, and based on one's material conditioning, one likes one over the other. Hmm. Um, for example, uh, one might have more of an intellectual appetite. Uh, karmically speaking, and one of the gurus may be more intellectual in their approach to presenting bhakti than the other, and so he or she might be attracted to that particular devotee without even knowing what 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 bhava is driving either one of the of the guru figures hmm, to choose from, and so he or she chooses based on a particular. Um, But then, as a result of that choice on that basis, of course, he or she becomes influenced by that particular bhava in due course, that the guru who's been chosen is, excuse me, driven by. So there could be, excuse me, A, uh, a material factor in that, relatively speaking, although ultimately the uh, the uh, impressions that come from the bhava that drives a particular um, advanced Vaishnava guru figure um, will um, be the determining factor. Um, a culmination of those, perhaps over lifetimes. So, I hope that answers your question. What else? Another question? The next question is in the chat. Um, it's from Raj Hari. Do you, do you see it? Because um, I don't. Because the chat. Do you see it? Yeah. Says, Can you please elaborate on this inner eye mentioned in this comment? Is that the one you mean? Yeah. The comment is the, uh, I don't know where, where's the comment from? I don't know what, where the comment's from, maybe. Yeah, it sounds 
sounds a bit like him. So the, uh, the book says the eye is necessary to acquire such an eye, an inner eye, to begin divine knowledge is a second eye, another eye within. At the sacred thread ceremony, the Upanayana is meant to be imparted, another eye to see things around you. This is the eye of judgment, a theistic eye. So the uh, whoever posted this or asked this wants me to come. Rudy, you're frozen again. Uh, keeps freezing up. Hello, frozen. Um, okay, yeah, you're kind of periodically freezing. Like, I couldn't hear the beginning of your answer to that question. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, um, all that's being said here is that one needs to develop spiritual eyes to see. To see with spiritual eyes, that the material eyes, for example, unto themselves, are not going to... Um, uh, uh, reveal the nature of ultimate truth, Atashi Krishna Namadi Namadi So, material senses to extend the idea beyond the eyes can't afford us, uh, under themselves, direct experience of the Godhead. Hmm? Neither a mind. Hmm? unto itself or intellect unto itself. So we need to divine eyes. We need divine mind, a divine, a spiritualized intellect. And this comes through sadhusanga, through when we when we receive initiation, then uh, we are taught to see as the term goes through the eyes of Shastra, Shastra Chakshu, to have the eyes of scripture. So rather than to rely upon our material senses, eyes, etc., for knowing, we have another means of knowing. Call it an eye, because we're talking using the metaphor of seeing. So how will we see God? Not with material eyes, but with spiritual eyes. And initiation means to begin, so to to, to impart divine uh, knowledge, divine wisdom. Uh, typically in, in the form of, of a mantra. And so the repetition of the, of, of the mantra is not a rational exercise. It's not really a really essential exercise, but it's a trans-rational exercise. And it affords a kind of knowing that you couldn't arrive at otherwise. So it's a different means of knowing. It's a different set of eyes for seeing. And this is a very, of course, important point um, that under the influence of the angas of bhakti, when we engage in those angas and we are paying attention to what we're doing, there, there lies the, the potential for knowing in a way that you cannot know, even by reading the book or um, learning the, the philosophy, if you will. Hmm? That is also important, learning the philosophy and um, meant to 
help us become absorbed and come under the influence of bhakti or this Krishna Swarup Shakti that bhakti is constituted of. But it's that influence is that is a, uh, the, the full measure of knowing. Hmm? Bhakti is mentioned in the Gita as you know the, the Rajavidya, hmm? the king of knowledge. So we're so used to knowing or thinking that we will know hmm? uh, through the exercise of our uh, mental faculty, intellectual faculty, hmm? through through uh, empiric, empirically through sense perception and so forth. But, but <laughs> these are not ways of knowing in a comprehensive sense. And to arrive at that comprehensive knowing, there has to be a perfect means to arrive at that, at, at that comprehensive knowledge. There has to be a perfect means of knowing. Hmm? And it's not the way we normally think we will arrive at, at knowing. Hmm? So <laughs> it's, uh, it's very curious and uh, it's something that one has to experience mm -hmm. through chanting, for example, knowing. Mm -hmm. And it, what you know through that experience, what you come to know by the grace of Harinam, by the grace of, of the Anga of Kirtan, for example, is something that you cannot fully express either in words or in thought that you write down philosophically. You may try to. Did you lose me there? Yeah, yeah. Can you, um, yeah, you, were, you stopped at like through chanting comes knowing. And I mean, I guess that's what you've been talking about the whole time. So yeah. I think, yeah, we, I think we lost like 15, 20 seconds, maybe 15 yeah, seconds. So so it's it's uh it's a different kind of knowing and a knowing that that when you experience that kind of knowing it's not something you can you can express fully hmm, through words or through writing writing about it and so forth it's good to do that but um, it can't do justice to it hmm, um, in full sense so we need different eyes we need if we, if we want to know God, we have to know God on God's terms. So revelation is what's being talked about. Revelation, a different kind of knowing. But beyond the power, the can of the instruments that you have for knowing, which are counterfeit in terms of arriving at real and comprehensive knowledge. That's what's being discussed there. As you comment here, if someone's inner vision reveals aspects of Bhagawan and awakens feelings for him that aren't relatable or supported by others in their life, should one simply remain silent and solitude, prayerful that someone supportive will come? Well, um, I think that we are members of a great uh, tradition of Gaudiya Vedanta. And uh, the founding um, the charges of that tradition have 
very uh, comprehensively elaborated upon in their books what is the nature of Bhagwan. For example, we have the Bhagwat Sandarbha. Originally, the Sat Sandarbha, Sat means six, six treaties or essays, that was called the Bhagwat Sandarbha. Then it later became known as Sat Sandarbha. But within the Satsandarbha, one of them is the Bhagavad Sandarbha. We have the Bhagavad Tattva Sandarbha, the Bhagavad and the Preeti Sandarbha, so six. So the Bhagavad Sandarbha is all about the um, nature of Bhagwan. And I don't think that, objectively speaking, you can find any other tradition or any other uh, saintly persons who have given more information about the nature of God, whether you believe in God or not, or whether you believe what they say or not, is another thing. We do. That's why we're Gaudiya Vaishnavas. And one of the reasons we do is because there's more information about the nature of God here than you can find anywhere. I mean, a lot of schools of uh, theology in, in other traditions are about whether there is God or not, and not so much about what is I'm back. I was saying that some schools, many schools of theology are all about whether or not God exists. Um, you know, we do that too in our theology, but we excel in what God's like. Hmm? Uh, I've seen little tracts, little pamphlets from Christians before uh, that depict God with no face, and they say God has no face, so it you know, can't be seen. Um, there, so comparatively, uh, uh, Vaishnavism, and within that Gaudiya Vaishnavism, uh, has spoken more or revealed more you know, amongst the religious traditions around the world about the nature of God and all of them put together. Hmm? What is the nature? I, I haven't been thinking. We're talking, I talked, we're talking again about it yesterday with um, devotees here about writing a book about heaven, if you will, or the spiritual realm as it is understood in Christianity, in Islam, in uh, Nirvana, in of, of Buddhism, the Vaikuntha of, uh, you know, the, 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 the Brahman, uh, Nivrasesh Brahma of Shankar, and so on and so forth. Chapter on each of the different heavens, if you, if you will. Well, the chapter, you know, it talks about it from the Vaishnav point of view, and from the Gaudiya Vaishnav, it'd probably be longer than the rest of the whole, you know, book put together. So, um, It's a significant, uh, very significant contribution to the religious world. So we are fortunately members of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. And um, while we practice and we may get some insight as to the nature of God and develop certain uh, sentiments for God, I think we would it's incumbent upon us as members 
the Vigodia Sampradaya to look and see whether what we are feeling and thinking hmm, as a result of our practice corresponds and to what extent with a, a, a huge, a, a vast amount of information about the nature of God. Hmm? And uh, I mean, just, 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 just to give the two categories of Aishvarya and Madhurya, you know, the uh, reverential love and love and intimacy, these two divisions, and that, what to speak of, then going within those, uh, what is Samipya, what is Sarupya, what is Salokya, what is Sarshti, different types of statuses within, within reverential love, what is Dasya, Sakya, Madhurya, different types, and so on and so forth. All these are feelings that, you know, corresponding um, object of God. God shows himself or, uh, in, or reciprocates in relation to those uh, feelings, which are, are arising in, in one who, who has simultaneously uh, lost interest in other worldly ideas and so on and so forth. So there are symptoms as well by which we can determine this person is worth listening to when speaking about God and, and this person may not be. Hmm? Um, so given that wealth that we have in our tradition, we would we have much to look to to confirm hmm, what experience we might have or feelings or thoughts we might have as to the nature of God from our practice and um, determine to what extent those uh, feelings, experiences are um, are you know, within the, the scope of what they've talked about. If they're outside of it, hmm, then they, you know, I think there's good reason for them to be uh, uh, questionable. Hmm? And uh, I mean, someone could have profound experiences outside of that, but they would be so profound that they would write, be able to begin to write, start a sampradaya about it, hmm? right? And support it philosophically. And that, that's the other thing is, you know, these are, like I said, there's, there's a symptom by which we can determine who's qualified and so forth. So, I mean, you give some ideas about the nature of God, as Jiva Goswami has, for example, in Bhagavad Sandarva, and then he, he's under, under, well, he's giving a foundation for those thinkings of, of, of philosophy and, um, um, and, and valid interpretation of the, of the sacred texts and so forth. It's, it's, um, Far from, you know, make it up as you go along. And, and I just say this because there are all kinds of people that think God's talking to them. There are many people in the United States now who think that God is talking to them and telling them that, uh, that uh, Donald Trump is going to be reinstated as the president in, in a couple of weeks. I mean, they're just absolutely nuts. They have no idea. <laughs> they're just totally... Um, um, totally misinformed and um and many and as i say many of them um 
or thinking it's some kind of divine revelation and God is talking to them in some kind of code and you got to, and then their task is to sort it out and they've got some secret inside wisdom about God and he, well, he's, 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 he's holding Donald Trump's hand, you know, I mean, so is there anything we could check that against to determine whether that's just some inward um, mind uh, of a conditioned soul as opposed to it actually being um, accurately information about uh, the voice of, the desires of, of the Godhead? Um, well, a lot of this kind of thinking comes from uh, some Christian evangelicalism, evangelical evangelicals, and uh, and uh, um, Christian fundamentalism. Okay. So let's refer to the Bible. You know, what does it say? I mean, I, I think even if you refer to the Bible, you look closely, you, you see that couldn't possibly be true. This person doesn't represent God at all. But but it, but there's very little there in comparison. Still, they should they should do that. And some thoughtful people do. Hmm. In the Christian tradition, and therefore they dismiss these ideas as being fanciful and so forth. So, overall, I think that uh, that uh, that it's uh, the sacred. It's kind of the idea, or an overarching sense of the sacred text. There, there's revelation from the Godhead from that side. There's a body of that. It's useful to help us in terms of helping us distinguish what is God, what does God want, or what, are the, what is God realization, what is the nature of God, so on and so forth, in comparison to what we might come up with just on our own, in our own mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's basically even what, what Christianity says about the Bible. We don't care what you think, what does the Bible say? Of course, then, What's their interpretation of it? We have to look and see whether that makes sense. So, what else? Okay, I see another question here. It's a question from Michael. He says, Pranams Maharaj, being mainly drawn to this feeling of friendly love with Krishna as the lovely cowherd boy, how do we develop our attraction to other forms of the Lord? How do we develop our relationship with Radharani? Well, one is attracted to Sakurasa in some basic sense, um, but having but the basis of that, of course, being in a lineage where that uh, sentiment can be found, which is the case for ourselves here in Gaudi Vaishnavism, and uh, a prominent um, expression of that came in my Guru Maharaj, who's touched all of us. Um, so it's it's understandable that someone might have that um, inclination. Um, but uh, to your question, um, how do we develop attraction to other forms of the Lord? Um, well, if you understand uh, Krishna, Gopala Krishna, the cowherd, um, as Swine Bhagavan, so the fountainhead of all forms of divinity as we teach. 
then um, the more you develop affinity for, attraction to, love for, um, Gopala Krishna, without having to think about it, naturally, you're going to like other forms of himself, hmm? where he is doing something specific hmm? in relation to other devotees who love him in, in, in another way. Hmm? So you don't have to try um, in one sense. In, in another sense, uh, we're not trying to become attracted to other forms. We're trying to become attracted to one form. <laughs> um, and if you have genuine attraction, really spiritually developed attraction, rag for that form of God, then um, it's like anyone else that you love. Hmm? If you love your wife, then um, uh, then in, in a sense, you know her better than anyone. Hmm? Others know aspects of her that you know, and they are focused only on that aspect. Hmm? That's another form of her, for example, how she may be at, at work uh, and so forth. And if you hear about that, then you, 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 you more, and that is emphasized. You don't have any trouble figuring out how to like that. It's an aspect of the person that you love. So when we see Krishna, Gopal Krishna in, in Ram Lila, doing as he does, of course, we'll be attracted. If you're attracted to Gopal Krishna, then you like Ram's relationship with Lakshman, which is uh, the nature of Sakya, also paternal, paternal love. Mm. Uh, but he's wonderful in whatever he does, in whatever form. Um, even, uh, of course, Bhakti Vinod had this Saragari perspective that he emphasized and so when I go to a different church of a different tradition I see that oh they look they look at him like this here and they worship him in this way here hmm. so I think thoughts like that would be helpful with regard to Radha you ask how to develop a relationship with Radha well there's some you know math to that in, in a sense we know that Krishna loves Radha so if we do the math, then figure out, well, if, if Krishna loves Radha, if I please Radha, Krishna will be pleased with me if I want to please Krishna. So um, that said, in, in, in Arma Sakabhav, where the Sakas who love Krishna are also um, participating from their fraternal love's perspective, from Sakirasa in his romantic life and assisting him, then we find, for example, the leader of those, Subal, is also a servant of, of Radha. So should I have a service, some, some reverence for Radha <laughs> in the context of our friendship with, uh, with Krishna? Hmm. Those things will come, that will come very, very naturally. The more you hear, about uh, Krishna in fraternal love, the more you're going to hear about also his romantic uh, romantic life. 
So what's important to him will become important to you. And then in the context of the Leela, then certain friends of Krishna, they have opportunities to serve Radha as well as serve Krishna. So I've written about all of this in my forthcoming book, Circle of Friends. So I think you'll get a lot from that. I appreciate your question. Let's see, uh, Anupam, Anupam Devi Dasi has written something. Shall I read it? Um, Pranada has a... Pranada, okay, Pranada, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Pranada, and then maybe that one, the question could be translated. Okay. Pranada, come in. I'm coming, I'm trying to come in. Um, there you are. You know, how do we... We have two statements. We have something about um, that Krishna is merciful to the most fallen. And he also, we have a statement that he rarely gives Baba and Prema. So my question is, how are we harmonizing these two statements? Because um, I wouldn't think that we would say that when they're no longer most fallen, then he'll give them the mercy of Baba and Prema, but we would hope that he would give the mercy to the most fallen. Um, mm-hmm. seems, seems that there's a difference between the two, and if you could comment on that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, uh, it's, it's said that the, uh, um, the Vaishnavas, the sadhus, hmm, Vaishnav sadhus, they are the Kripa Shakti of Krishna. So Krishna's Kripa, Krishna's mercy, the power of his mercy is primarily manifest as the devotees. Krishna is compassionate to his devotees, but his devotees are compassionate even to non-devotees. They interact with them in this world, minister to them, um, and so on and so forth. So, um, so Krishna is merciful to all people hmm, through the agency of his devotees who are the bearers of bhakti. And wherever they distribute bhakti, then Krishna has to go there. Hmm. So um, in that way, Krishna is merciful to all kinds of people, right? Uh, not just advanced devotees. And the mercy is such that they, uh, persons are able to begin the, um, to traverse the, the course of bhakti. And from the execution of their bhakti, what we that we're finding is the measure or the extent to which they are taking advantage of that mercy that they are let let's say you're very merciful to someone and um you you give them you know a large sum of money let's say let's say you have a daughter and you want to help her and so you you give her uh, you know, some money so that she can um, get started and get somewhere, you know, 
in life. And then you find out that she takes the money and she just wastes it. Then you're 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 mercifully disposed towards her, but you're 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 going to hold back on giving her more money. Mm-hmm. So how we take advantage of the mercy that we we're said to advance in bhakti through two things: mercy and effort. Mm-hmm. Right now we make the effort to get more mercy. That's the, the nature of the effort in bhakti. Mm-hmm. It's different than the effort in jnana and yoga. Maybe some similarities. Basically, we're endeavoring to, to, to get grace rather than just think that on our own strength we're going to um, transcend material nature um, through knowledge, for example, which is a manifestation of sattvaguna. Uh, how will sattvaguna get us to the nirguna? So we need help from the nirguna side, right? We need grace. We want to position ourselves, that's our effort, to get more grace. So if your daughter, in that my example, had positioned herself hmm, by applying herself in terms of effort in relation to the mercy in the form of the the grant that you gave her, then you'll be more disposed to give her more mercy. So her effort has has accrued, so to speak, uh, or attracted um, more uh, grace. Now, this this means effort in the context of bhakti. So there's nothing, no material qualification that one can do that will qualify oneself. We should give this person bhakti because he's very smart. We should give this person bhakti because she's very um, um, pious. No, that, that's not the criteria. We give it to everybody. Mm-hmm. So Krishna, through the agency of his devotees, gives bhakti to anyone and everyone without discrimination. Their material qualification has no bearing on whether or not they are potentially recipients of bhakti and, 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 and thereby the grace of Bhagwan. Mm-hmm. Bhakti is, in a sense, the grace of Bhagwan. Now, in the, once they're devotees and, and on the path, then there are some levels of qualification within bhakti, how they're applying themselves in relation to bhakti. Mm-hmm. So the statement that you refer to from the Bhagavatam, it's also there in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. I think at the fifth canto of the Bhagavatam, it's described that Bhagavan does not give praying or bhav or whatever said very, very easily. And similarly, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, it's, it's mentioned that uh, bhav is sudurla, uh, very rarely attained. But there, Jiva Goswami, of course, explains that that it means even if you do all the sadhanas of Sankhya or all the sadhanas of yoga or other traditions, you're not going to get bhava from Krishna. But only if you do sadhana with the heart, with attraction, where, you're, where, the, where it's not just a mechanical uh, exercise, but actually heart exercise, which is going to happen in the, in the full sense of the term in the higher stages of sadhana bhakti. When you don't have anything else in your heart, like Mahaprabhu says, nadanam najanam nasundarim kavitam va. I don't have attraction for anything else in the world. I only have attraction for bhakti. And one is has taste for bhakti. One doesn't have a taste for anything else. 
in, in, so in, in, in ruchi, in asakti, one is giving oneself in such a way that one, that bhava will come. Prior to that, why should it come? It's still there, bhakti is there, doing work, exposing the shortcomings of other ideas, false values, and so on and so forth. So one should make an effort to let go of those things when it becomes apparent that that's necessary, you know, for me to progress and make the next, uh, to, go, to go forward and so forth. Everything won't be clear at once, what I should let go of or to what extent, but ultimately, as I say, Mahaprabhu said, that covers everything in the whole world if you look at it carefully. Not even desiring uh, liberation. So, um, again, when one, the idea is that when one is giving oneself fully with the heart, when one is taking advantage of the mercy that has been, been, been given, because both things are required, right? Effort and mercy. Then, um, and I guess you could say, then that's rare, <laughs> or it take, take, takes some time. So uh, this is the explanation of why Krishna doesn't give bhava easily, if you will. Does that help? Maybe it doesn't. Yes, it does. And what you, uh, the way you just described something of bhakti uh, in the earlier stages of sadhana giving mercy in the form of showing us what needs to be removed so that we can do the work. That just struck me. Um, I think probably heard that before, but it just struck me as, because I always think of bhakti as giving, going to give me a taste or a realization of the higher realm or connection with Krishna, but stating it that way is quite um, yeah, powerful because... We get a lot of that, actually. So we could say bhakti is very active in my life when I'm seeing that. Yeah. If you're going to cleanse a room, then, you know, you're going to find out, oh, man, there's a lot, there's a lot here than I thought. It's, 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 uh, you're going to see things that in the co context of the cleansing process, the bhakti is shedding light on. Look over there. Did you get that? Pick up the rug, you know, open the closet, you know, see what, how everything falls out. You know, wait a minute. So... So yeah, so, so make an effort, hmm? take advantage of the mercy that you have. And, and, and so it, we, we can be fallen and still be gifted with the highest. Yes, yes, highest opportunity to take advantage of. So, you know, if you don't want it, then why, why should you give it? If you really want it, if I say I want it, but I want all kinds of other things at the same time, then you don't, how much do you really want it? And, and how much instead, maybe you just want freedom from the things that you know, are bothering you. So something like that. Uh, what else? Um, we have from Anupurna, uh, she says, uh, oh, it's in Spanish. So 
Uh, yeah, the question is clear, um, but, uh, you know, by the grace of the Guru, Vaishnavas, Bhagwan, um, we make progress. Um, but if you're referring to paintings, for example, uh, Prabhupada, and maybe this is what the question's about, uh, used to call the paintings from, in his books, like uh, windows to the spiritual world. And so you could get the impression from that that if someone was painting it, they were empowered, you know, to see the spiritual world and they're drawing it exactly as it is. And I've heard some devotees, you know, interpret the paintings um, like that. One devotee told me that you have to, so I mean, you have to realize that Prabhupada, you know, revealed to the world through these paintings of the BBT artists that he empowered, who oh, what God was like that's never been revealed before. I said, well, you know, there have been thousands of paintings in India, you know, about Krishna and Krishna Leela, you know, uh, prior to the BBT. So uh, not to diminish their uh, contribution. But I mean, these, these paintings are approximations, obviously, of something that that if it doesn't, if thought and word cannot do to it, neither can the pen and the canvas hmm, of their approximations. If those approximations please a devotee like, like Prabhupada, then, um, you know, then they have more uh, credibility, if you will. But to have the eye to see in the spiritual world, yeah, that, that is a, you know, a result of grace, obviously. Hmm. Grace, which translates into spiritual progress one has made. Hmm. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's the ability to put the philosophy together in such a way that you, 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 you land on your feet. Um, what is the nature of you know, Rasa Tattva, for example, you want to talk about pictures of Krishna Leela, or you want to write about Krishna Leela. Those expressions, however poetic or artistic, have to conform with the, with the tattva um, that underlies the nature of Rasa, how some Rasas are compatible, how some are not, and so on and so forth. So I the question wasn't entirely clear, but um, but I hope I've uh, answered to your satisfaction. Are there any other questions? There's one from Sham Das. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if they were just sending me the question in the chat or they were kind of Sham Das. You can you. Um, it was Shandavas. about Rathiatra. Rathiatra, well, that's a big festival for Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, participated in the Rathiatra, and his, his associates from Bengal, from Navadweep, would come annually, and uh, on the pretext of coming to Rathiatra, they would uh, get the association of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But but it was a tradition, regardless of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu going there, for pilgrims to come from Navadvip to Jagannath Puri. Um, 
for the occasion of, of the Rath Yatra. Prabhupada personally told me that um, it's something that he's, he had told others as well, but one, one day he just called me to his room at his bedside and he said, uh, when I was a boy, then I used to, my aspiration was to somehow get enough money to take the train to go to Jagannath Puri to participate in the Rath Yatra. And more or less, he said, I was so insistent upon going that my father got me a, a, a toy Roth or cart hmm? to play, you know, play Roth Yatra. Hmm? He says, and I performed the Roth Yatra and neighbors came and participated. And they thought, he told me that it was play, but it, he, his eyes became very wide and said, but it was real. <laughs> he said he used to keep, he told me he used to keep the cart by his bed and he would wake up in the night and reach out and touch it, make sure it was really there. So it's an example of a Gaudiya Vaishnava's attraction to uh, Yatra. And if we uh, study Chaitanya Charitamrita in the Madhya Leela, then there's much said there by Krishna Kaviraj as to why Yatra is so central uh, to the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Now, it may mean different things to different persons. Jagannath is the, literally, Jagannath. Jagat means the world. Nath means the Lord, Lord of the world. So, Lord of the universe. So, many people come with different conceptions of God. And um, they look at Jagannath from, through that lens. Some Buddhists worship Jagannath. For example, the Shankar uh, people there, they have their Gaudan Mat in Jagannath Puri. And there are the Pujaris there, and they worship uh, Jagannatha Sabuna Brahman hmm, as a manifestation of, of the Nirisesh Brahma with qualities, material qualities. So it's not the way we look at uh, Jagannath. We look at it, Jagannath, the way Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did, which is described in Chaitanya Charitamrita, that he saw Jagannath. When he saw him, he saw he had a peacock and was carrying a flute. His eyes are wide. The implication of this is that he is looking for Radha. Where is she? And Balaram and Subhadra are looking at him, and their eyes are becoming wide, seeing him. And, of course, their bodies are contorted, which is meant to depict, from our perspective, Satvika Bhavas, transformations of the body in the ecstasy of Braj. So Vrindavanapuri is a moment in the Dwarka-lila of Krishna, a moment in which Krishna is reflecting back on Braj and Radha's love for him therein. And so it's, as Sridhar put it, it's a train wreck between the... the, the Dwarka conception, which has, which has Aishwari in the sense that Krishna is God, and the Vrindavan conception, which uh, doesn't see him in that way, sees him in intimacy, because the two are crashing. Jagannath's you know, been in a train wreck. Um, so the Rathayatra, then, of course, is, is uh, 
bringing Jagannath, bringing Krishna into Dwarka, Kurukshetra, where the Vrajabhasis have also been invited to observe the religious performances surrounding the solar eclipse, which was a big event. So in Kurukshetra, they set up like, a, like an Olympic city, like when they do the Olympics in the world now, they set up a virtual city for it that's going to last for however long, you know, a month or whatever, how long, however long the Olympics last. So they can, you can imagine they set up a whole um, temporary city, fairgrounds, mm -hmm. to uh, observe the solar eclipse and the Kurukshetra. And Kurukshetra and the Brajabasis were also invited, all people were invited. So they came in their covered wagons, their, their bullock, pulled by bullock, bullocks and, and so forth, and looked a little out of place for that um, very sophisticated royal event. Krishna came from riding on elephants. That's a sign of opulence. Takes 200 pounds of food to feed an elephant a day. You gotta have a lot of money to have pet elephants. So um, meanwhile, the, the poor village people were coming on bullock carts. He should have came to the gate and said, let me in. They said, who are you? Have you got tickets? And so forth. And she's claiming to be the mother of Krishna. And the guards are going, what are you talking about? Devaki's his mother. What, who is this crazy lady? So anyway, she's so insistent, the word gets back to Krishna. He says, let her in right away. And the guards, you know, well, what? Oh, okay, he says, let her in. And then British people come in and so forth. And so, of course, ultimately, um, um, Krishna speaks with gopis described in the, in the Bhagavatam. This thing was described in the Bhagavatam. And uh, at that time, in private, he speaks with them and expresses the fact that that I'm here physically, but my mind is with, with you in Vrindavan. Norman Vrindavan. My mind is Vrindavan. My heart is there. I'm here for superficial reasons. It appears that I'm here, but really I'm there. So he gives that kind of a confirmation to them. Um, and emphasizes to us the nature of the love of Vrindavan, while he may be physically present elsewhere. He's actually more present in Vrindavan where the love for him is greater. How can he not be there if there's love for him? If there's love, there has to be the object of love. So um, where there is love for Krishna, Krishna is present. And so the Ratha Yatra is about, is about bringing, really is about bringing Krishna back to Vrindavan. He gets as far as Kurukshetra, but Vrindavan people come to him and then expresses his, the idea that I'm, I'm, I'm present there in, in your love for me more than I am anywhere else. Something like that. I mean, it's a big, big subject and there are several chapters covering it. And, and in the Rathiyat, of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he, he to one extent or another, enters into the Bhava of Radha. And thus his dancing is equivalent to the dancing of Radha and Jagannath is stunned by the dancing. So the carts stop and they, won't, they can't move. And they get elephants to push the carts and they won't move. 
but when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu picks up the rope, pulls, then, then, then the cart moves. So Jagannath is stunned by the dancing of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which is uh, evidence that Mahaprabhu is getting some success. Krishna, Lord Krishna, is getting some success in, in terms of his reason for his advent, the internal reason to enter into the Bhagavad of Radha. So it's a, it's a beautiful uh, love drama throughout the afternoon, seen through the eyes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates. Jagannath Swami Kijai. So with that, we end for today. Thank you all for your time and interest and questions, and I hope to be with you again next week. Gaur Bhaktivinoda Kijai.